The Old Testament reading today comes from 1 Kings, chapter 19, verses 9 through 21. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. And the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Maholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall put Jehu to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall put Elisha to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing the 12 yoke of oxen in front of him, and he was with the 12. Elisha passed by him and cast his cloak upon him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again, for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took the yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading today comes from Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, and verses 13 through 25. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immor immortality, immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, 
rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Gospel according to St. Luke, the ninth chapter. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to call to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The words that I'd like us to think about this morning are from Paul's letter to the Galatians. It's specifically these words. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For you were called to freedom, brothers. <clears throat> there are lots of words out there. Uh, Buddhism says, follow Buddha's teaching. And one may escape then the cycle of rebirth, the worldly attachment and suffering. And this process may take several lifetimes for you to complete before you can get it right. 
Most Hindus believe that the soul is eternal, that it goes through also a cycle of death and rebirth, and that that's determined by your actions. And the goal of their religious life is to learn to act in such a way that you finally achieve liberation of your soul and escape this cycle of rebirth. The name Islam comes from the word submission and obedience to God is a primary theme in this religion. In order to live an Islamic life, believers must follow the five pillars or the tenets of Islam and do it well. In the Orthodox Jewish faith, you're in a covenantal relationship with God, but you must observe the Jewish law. And all of these faiths, all these religions have one thing in common. They all believe that man is descendant, that man is in a state of degradation, a low estate. And these religions all attempt to give people hope, to, to give them a way that they can get out of their estate, saying that there's a way to ascend to God, a way that you can become one with the infinite, or with God, a place that you can arrive at of peace and rest finally. Follow Buddha's teaching, and eventually you can be there. You can escape the suffering, you can ascend to the state of perfection where there will be peace. Or submit yourself, be obedient to the five pillars, obedient to God, and you will be rewarded. Act more and more perfect so that your soul can finally achieve liberation, freedom from the brokenness of this world. These religions commonly believe that one can set oneself free, that one can make an angry and judgmental God happy by your actions, by what you do, or that you can somehow pull yourself up by your bootstraps, rescue yourself from pain, suffering of this life, and achieve peace, achieve oneness with God. And, of course, you might ask, well, how are these religions so different from Christianity? We believe, too, that man is in a state of degradation, that man is descendant. We say he is fallen. And our hope as well is that we will ascend to God, that we will one day have peace. But already you know that there is a stark difference between Christianity and the other religions of the world. We know these differences not because we follow someone who claims to have discovered a new and better way of achieving peace, but because the only true God made himself known to us, to man. Through his holy word we learn of the fall of our first parents, their descent into sin, their fall from holiness to a sinful and broken state.
Through God's holy word, we learn the Ten Commandments. We learn what God demands of people to be holy. You shall have no other gods. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not lie. You shall not covet anything of your neighbors. Now to this point, we're pretty much in the same boat as those who believe that they believe one of the other religions of the world. If we're going to try to please God by keeping all of the commandments, if we're going to reach perfection in this way, both they and we will fail. The sinful flesh cannot make itself holy. The sinful flesh cannot please God. But the Christian religion does not stop there, does not stop at the Ten Commandments. The Christian religion is dependent on the promise of God for a Savior. And it is dependent on the fulfillment of that promise. The Christian religion is unique in the world because it acknowledges that sinful man cannot ascend to God. Sinful man cannot raise himself out of his low estate. That God, in his great love, has sent his Son to do what we could not do. Jesus lived the perfect life, fulfilling every one of those commandments, every one of God's holy demands. And then he offered that perfect life as a ransom, as a sacrifice to make atonement for our sin. While we were powerless, dead in our trespasses and sins, Christ died for us. Our reading from Luke today says, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. Jesus was resolute. He was inwardly committed to suffering God's punishment for our sin. And this had been God's plan from the beginning of time. That Jesus would descend to us, would take on our flesh, and by his death and resurrection, defeat Satan, defeat the power that sin held over us. And so Paul can say, Christ has set us free. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. For you were called to freedom, brothers. We might ask, from what did Christ set us free? We have been set free from the burden of trying to justify ourselves before a holy and righteous God. The religions of the world agree we are fallen creatures. What they miss is the revelation of God, that we cannot ascend on our own to him. We cannot overcome our sinful flesh. Even if we were given the opportunity to relive our lives over and over again until we could get it right, it would never happen. 
the revelation of God through his word is that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God has reached down and he has taken hold of us and he has given us life. We have been set free from that impossible burden of justifying ourselves before God. And we've also been set free from the condemnation of the law. Religions of the world rely on the law, on rules that when followed are supposed to make a person acceptable in the eyes of the supreme being or God. But the scriptures tell us that the law has no power to save us. It cannot make us good. Rather, it always condemns us, accuses us. Does the law say, do not murder? We find ourselves murdering our brothers and sisters in our heart when we are angry with them. Does the law say, do not bear false witness? We find that we have gossiped about our neighbor, not always presented others in the best light, and even twisted or changed the truth in order to make ourselves appear better, give us a better standing with others. Have no other gods. Do not covet. Honor your father and your mother. In so many ways, the law of God accuses us. But from the condemnation of the law, Christ has set us free. He set his face to go to Jerusalem, to the cross, bearing our sins in his body. And there he met the punishment that should have been ours. There he suffered and died in our place. Each one of our sins has been paid for with his precious blood. Christ's sacrifice has set us free from the condemnation of the law. Now we're coming up on July 4th, 246 years ago. The, the, Americans, the American colonies declared their independence from King George from England. And after a bloody war, we were finally free. But 2,000 years ago, a greater freedom was won, not by you, not by me, not by any human other than Christ. We didn't do the hard work. We didn't fight the battle. We didn't shed our blood. But that freedom was won for us on our behalf by God himself through the giving of his only begotten son and the shedding of his precious blood. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery, for you are called to freedom, brothers. See, the Galatians are in danger of losing that freedom. They are in danger of abandoning it, leaving it behind, because they're trying to put themselves back under the law. The Judaizers are claiming that the Jewish Christians must do something else. They must be circumcised. They must bring themselves into a right relationship with God before the blood of Christ 
can avail for them. In effect, they're saying that a Christian needs Jesus and something. And that's not gospel. That's not good news. As soon as we're under the law, we are under all of it. And we are doomed. Now we might say, well, that's the Galatians. It's not us today. But don't we do that today too? Don't we put ourselves under the law? Anytime that we think we are doing something that is pleasing God, God must be happy with me because look what I did or look what I'm doing or look what I'm thinking about doing. When we're nice to our neighbors or when we go to church or when we tithe our offerings, if we look at those things, then we, we think that God is happier with us because we're doing that. Maybe he's not as happy with somebody over there because they're not doing it. Then we're placing ourselves under the law. What about when we criticize somebody else? Even in our own thoughts. When we say, they're not treating me the way that they should be treating me. Or they're not measuring up. We're placing them under the law. And the only way to do that is to place ourselves under that same law. And Jesus' words come to mind when he says, get the log out of your own eye first. We've got enough to worry about, don't we? Without worrying about somebody else. But when we put somebody else under the law, then we are opening ourselves up and saying, God, judge me by the law. I'm not doing that. See, I'm good. We place ourselves under the law. It's a temptation to us, just like the Galatians are being tempted. Paul says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery, for you were called to freedom, brothers. For freedom Christ has set us free. This is the good news of the gospel, that Christ has already done it, set us free. It is finished. So that while we have failed to keep the commandments, Christ has fulfilled each one of them for us. While we have failed to love our neighbor as ourselves, Christ has loved the world with a sacrificial love. My dear Christian friends, God does think well of you. He thinks well of you because of Christ. Period. God thinks well of you because of the blood of Christ that covers you. Paul says, stand firm, therefore. Stand firm on the rock of Jesus Christ. Stand firm, relying not on your own works, but on his. It's the only solid ground, and it's the beginning of our love for our neighbor. In the name of Jesus, amen.